Welcome back to another episode of the Hungry Takes podcast live on a Thursday night with Joe and Matt. Matt, baseball is back. The madness is almost upon us in March. There's an NFL frenzy with trades and free agency. I mean, what a time to be a sports fan this week. So, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's been a wild week, right? I mean, we've all, all waited with bated breath to hear about Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Of course, much to my chagrin, you have Major League Baseball that looks like it's going to be back in action. Uh, you got NBA starting to heat up. So, Joe, ton of topics out there to, to really dig into tonight. There is. There is. And I know, Matt, that so many people out there are just waiting with just such – um, apprehension, but also just riveting, um, just uh, th- their appetites, I think, are just ready to be uh, um, completely uh, cleansed by uh, what you have to say about um, Major League uh, Baseball. And so I'm going to save that to kind of tease that as uh, kind of a main course in just a few moments. But I want to start out with a uh, kickoff with some NFL news. And first and foremost, uh, talk about the uh, Huge blockbuster trade with Russell Wilson heading to the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Seahawks getting all these draft assets and um, I think three players, uh, including Drew Locke. What was your reaction, Matt, to uh, that news? So this is, you know, one of the top two things I wanted to talk about tonight. I'll get to the second one in my hangry rant. Tonight, but yeah, this was top two for me, Joe. Because if you've been paying attention to what's going on in the NFL and you're you're totally not disgusted and spending your time puking about Aaron Rodgers, if you lift your head up, then you heard about Russell Wilson and this move to Denver. And Joe, I'll keep it sweet, straight point, very simple here. I do not understand why everyone thinks that Denver is this great place to land. I don't see it. I mean, he's leaving behind Lockett. He's leaving behind Metcalf. He's got two great running backs. Pete Carroll, he's a Super Bowl winner. I don't understand what it is about Denver that people, I mean, everything you heard, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, all these people wanted to go to Denver, and I don't know why. Yeah, I kind of had the same uh, similar puzzlement because you look at that division. I mean, people talk about, is this a Super Bowl winner? I'm like, are you even the best team in your division? I don't think so. With the Chiefs, with the Chargers, I mean, the Raiders were a playoff team last year. And this is Russell Wilson, you know, coming in to his 11th season in the league. And I still think, you know, he's a great downfield passer, but he didn't have a whole lot of yards last year compared to most quarterbacks. I think he was just north of 3,000. You know, most guys these days are – throwing for 4,000 with no problem. And so to go into that division um, in and staying in the AFC with all the great young quarterbacks in the AFC, to me, that's just not the ideal landing spot. If I were him, I would have preferred to stay in the NFC, but go somewhere like Tampa Bay, I think would have been a great fit for Russell Wilson, or even Washington, I think would have been a better fit. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, we haven't even talked about the gauntlet that is the AFC. Like, when you look at the composure of the team, how the team is created, I sit back and I scratch my head and I'm like, really? You think there's a better squad in Denver than what you had in Seattle? Like, I, I don't get it. Now, I can understand the living situation in Denver. Denver is a very appealing place to live, and I understand that. But as far as the, how the team is constructed, you had one good thing. Like, if there was one thing, 
pick out of Denver to say, oh, well, that's interesting. It would have been Noah Fant, the tight end, who I think could be a top one or two tight end in the league, except they traded him away for Russell Wilson. So, you know, they don't have Von Miller on the defensive side of the ball in Denver. And you look at the wide receiver core, I don't think Jerry Judy has nearly proven himself like a Tyler Lockett, a DK Metcalf, or any of those guys. So I am perplexed about why Denver was such a sweet spot, especially considering the gauntlet of the AFC. On the other side, Joe, and I'll kick this back to you, I don't understand why Russell Wilson was such a fantastic catch. Like, I understand who he's supposed to be, but if you dig in the statistics, I think on third down completion, he was ranked like 22nd in the league. In overall completion, he was ranked like 24th in the league. This is a guy who, who threw an interception to lose a Super Bowl and has basically not been relevant for the last, what, five or six years. The only relevance he has with fantasy football, and he's not even showing up there anymore. Well, what I would say, you know, from his standpoint is, I, I still think that he was a guy that was going to be highly sought after. I mean, personally, he was my number one pick for who I would love to see the Saints uh, go after this offseason, but it didn't happen. Like, I still think there's a lot to like about Russell Wilson um, and his talent, but for me, it's just concentrating on I don't think Denver's the best fit for him with the competition he's going to face. And then also, let's talk for a second on the Seattle side of things. I mean, you could not have gotten, in my opinion, a better package for Russell Wilson really than this. I mean, let's compare this to the Matthew Stafford trade last year with the Rams and Lions. I mean, the, the, the Lions got two first-round picks. The Seahawks get two first-round picks and two second-round picks. And then I think some more picks as well. I mean, that is just uh, just a lion's share of draft capital. And so I feel like that, you know, that's going to be good for them to rebuild. And quite frankly, I think rebuilding is not a bad idea, Matt, because when you play in the division right now, the way it's set up with the NFC West, with the Rams, 49ers, and Cardinals, you weren't going anywhere the way you were positioned. And so I think it made a lot of sense to just go all in on a rebuild. Yeah, no, I agree. And I love the Hall of Picks. If you go out there and you get you a quarterback that's not a big-name guy, you go find you a stud in the draft, right, uh, that you underpay, let's be honest, because that's when you get them, uh, like a Patrick Mahomes, like the uh, quarterback uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers, you're currently underpaying those guys for what the market is for a superstar QB, right? Yeah. If you go get one of those guys and find that diamond in the rough, you pair it together with the, the draft haul you got for Russell Wilson, Seattle's in a pretty good place, and they needed to rebuild anyways. The thing I would say about the draft haul, Joe, I, I found it was an interesting uh, take in the news, and it was that Green Bay had not filled in any uh, questions about trading Aaron Rodgers. And if you look at Russell Wilson, you understand why. If that's what it took to get Russell Wilson – Oh, oh my gosh, what would it take to get Aaron Rodgers? Because all things even, Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. And then last thing, Joe, get to JJB's comments. He says, um, you know, the agents must have known something about Denver. And I, I agree with him, right? I don't know what was going on behind the scenes with this trade. 
something was up with Russell Wilson in Seattle. Like, I don't know if he had rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, I, I don't know what John Elway was willing to give up in Denver, but there was something going on behind the scenes to facilitate this Russell Wilson getting out of Seattle and going somewhere else. Now, let's not bury the lead here. I did hear, Matt, you say, quote, at around uh, 6.38 uh, um, Central Time on this uh, Thursday night that Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. So are you admitting that Aaron Rodgers is actually a uh, high-caliber quarterback? See, you haven't you have twisted, Joe. You haven't completely confused. Never once did I ever say Aaron Rodgers was not a good quarterback. Wait. Yes, I did. He's terrible. I admit that. But here's the, the core of the debate. It's not that Aaron Rodgers is that bad. It's that now if you have Aaron Rodgers, you have to put up with that little six foot four bitch, that little whiny bitch that is Aaron Rodgers. And that to me outweighs whatever you get on the field. Okay. Well, speaking of Rodgers, I mean, I know you've got a take about him um, staying in Green Bay for the 2022 season. Let's hear it. Everybody is waiting. So it's, it, you're going you're gonna to find that it's, it's really PG, right, Joe? It was, we've been calling this for months. I mean, I think we were the, the first cast to really put it out there. I think it's the only logical place for Aaron Rodgers. Like, where do you not – this Green Bay team, I mean, Gutekunst, who is the GM, did a fantastic job surrounding him with talent, surrounding him with a coach he liked. Uh, you know, the last two or three years, they've been the best team in the league going into the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers ruins it. You don't have to run the AFC gauntlet. The NFC is getting weaker and weaker literally by the season, okay? And so, to me, if you're Aaron Rodgers, there was only one choice to be made, and that's why... I didn't buy into this narrative that he was talking about. I think that the last thing I'll say about it is just uh, how attention-starved this guy is. Like, he built this soap opera around the most logical choice that's out there, I guess, for attention. Is he that needy? I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of chuckled, you know, the last couple of off-seasons when I heard, you know, speculation about him going elsewhere. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, for ba lack of a better word, it's a cliche, but I'll believe it when I see it. Like, I, I just don't, you know, see any evidence so far with Aaron Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay to, to show me that he's really going to depart. Like, he's really going to go somewhere and be traded. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, they're going to run it back, and we'll see, you know, if anything changes as far as, at this point, you know, it's going to the Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl, or bust, as it's been the last few years. So, Joe, here's, here's where, and I would love at some point to get Lily's feedback, because, you know, she's knee deep in everything that is Green Bay. Here is where, honestly, I'm going to put the character of Aaron Rodgers uh, kind of on the chopping block. So, we have not heard the details of the contract. My understanding is, and what I've always felt, he's going to want more than Mahomes and Otto, which is $50 million a year, $200 million contract. When he does that, he is going to hamstring the talent that can play around him. And so to me, if Aaron Rodgers really wants to put his money where his mouth is, he is going to settle for a lesser contract that allows him to surround himself by guys that will win a Super Bowl. I don't think that's what you're going to see. And what people should read into is not necessarily about the team when that happens. 
you should read into how big Aaron Rodgers' ego is because this whole time he's been saying it's not about it's not about me blah blah blah. But when you take that fifty million dollar contract and you rob Devontae Adams and you rob other guys of getting in and or bringing in guys to make the team better, it is about you, and that's why I can't stand Aaron Rodgers. I hear you. I hear you. So. I wanted to transition that real quick. Obviously, if you have anything else you want to say about Rodgers, I'll definitely be all ears for that. I'm but done. I, I'm done. <laughs> until until later this offseason. But um, I did want to, though, get your take real quick on the uh, Carson Wentz move going to the Washington Commanders. I, I personally feel like that makes them possibly a playoff team with him. And Joe, you know, JJB says he thinks Carson Wentz is the biggest joke in, in the NFL, really, as a QB. And I don't know what I think about Carson Wentz, right? Like, I, I think I'm like you. I think it makes the Commanders a playoff team. I don't really think that Heineke was that bad. Like, the boys played really great for you know where he was drafted and his value. Like, he was kind of a steal. But here's where I would challenge everybody. If you have HBO Max, go watch the Indianapolis Colts hard knock from this year. It follows them from the middle of the year until they lose and get knocked out of the playoffs. And it almost happened real time. What's coming out about the Colts is that he was a bad locker room guy. And granted, those docuseries are edited. But I want to know what in that docuseries would convince anybody that Carson Wentz is a bad guy or like a bad locker room guy. I mean, he seemed pretty cool, to be honest with you, like very humble and it seemed like all the guys liked him. So I don't, my point here where I'm going with this is I don't know the truth about Carson Wentz. I think he's pretty good. I think he gets you to the playoff level, but there's something else about him. I don't know if it's a mental issue, like he can't get over the hump or he really is a bad locker room guy. Yeah, I mean, my assessment of him, Matt, just kind of add to the conversation. I would say that you have a chance to make to be a playoff team. You've got a great defense, especially if Chase Young can come back. You've got a good running game with Antonio Antonio Gibson. Um, wouldn't hurt to see them add maybe another wide receiver to give them some more depth at that position. But otherwise, I really think that this team, especially with the NFC East always being you know so um, unpredictable and kind of average most years. I feel like this team has a good chance to um, make the playoffs, maybe even win that division even. And I think that the only downside, though, to getting Carson Wentz is it's a consolation prize. You know, if you don't get Russell Wilson, you don't get Aaron Rodgers, you're kind of left with Carson Wentz. And so, you know, there's only like so far he's going to take you. Like you're, you're kind of capped with your potential. Yeah, and the other thing I would say there is, as the chips have kind of fallen, right? Now, Brandon Miss Winston is still out there, if, you know, if you want to bring that in or not, of which I think he's fine in New Orleans if he wants to stay. I have no issues with Jameis. But once all these other quarterbacks have played out, Brady's gone, Ray Rodgers made the only logical decision, and Russell Wilson decided, you're really left with only two or three other guys, Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz, and uh, Mitch Trubisky. And so if those are your options – why wouldn't you go with Carson Wentz? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. So I, I think that the commanders did, you know, the only option they have. Um, I actually read an interesting report, though, that they offered Seattle three first-round picks for Russell Wilson. Wow, that's, that's absolutely crazy. Joe, let me ask you 
one more quick question. One more quick question. Do you think so? It actually, uh, actually, JJB brings JJB brings up. He says in the docu series about Carson Wentz, he just right, and, and I do agree with that. He seemed a little removed from the reality of the show. But let me ask you this question, Joe. You bring Carson Wentz into your program, and you're kind of at that playoff level like the Commanders are. If you go on a Burrow-esque playoff run, does Carson Wentz limit your potential success? Like, is he the guy that stops you from getting to the Super Bowl? Possibly. Like, he kind of has that almost that Jimmy Garoppolo-type feel, you know, that, that, that prototypical game manager. But, you know, the, the positive, though, the hope, if you're the commanders, is that we saw glimmers of so much potential from Carson Wentz, you know, pre um, his injury in 2017. I mean, he was as good as any quarterback, basically, in the 2017 season. I think he won the Burt Bell Award, you know, was playing fantastic until he got injured. And so if you could get even a semblance of that potential, I mean, you could win some playoff games. It's just at this point, I'm not banking on that probably materializing. I'm kind of banking on him, you know, playing just well enough to give them decent quarterback play where the, the defense can win a lot of the games. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say to this is if he doesn't get his act together and at least have one really good, like not MVP, but high-quality season with the commanders, he is the next – uh, Fitzpatrick, he is the next Nick Foles. He will be shuffled around from team to team as a bridge quarterback and probably never get another chance to start. Right, right. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. Well, Matt, um, let's transition. You know, I told everybody at the top we were definitely going to talk about some Major League Baseball and, of course, uh, a deal being reached. And so I kind of wanted to sandwich this in between, you know, some of our other topics to kind of give everybody a teaser because I know everybody's ready, Matt, to hear your reaction, what were your thoughts, Matt, when uh, you read that Major League Baseball is going to play a season in 2022? Joe, I'm, I'm happy for you, man. I, no, I mean that. I mean that. You know, like, I, I say a lot of mean and hot take things on this podcast, but I'm, I'm happy for you. Like, I am. Like, the last thing baseball needed was to have this long, drawn-out uh, – situation right and so i feel like yes it hurt them a little bit and i think you'll agree with me there but i'm glad for the sport any hopes of trying to revitalize it i'm glad for the fans i'm glad they can come to terms yeah yeah i mean and you know ironically you were the one that broke the news to me um i didn't see it until you texted me because i was uh, doing something at the time the news broke and so i definitely appreciate you saying that and appreciate you letting me know that it had um, you know, developed and come to fruition. Yeah, I was just uh, definitely uh, pleasantly surprised that it happened today. Um, great to hear that they're going to have a 162-game season to kind of get towards that, uh, that normalcy, hopefully, as much as you can. Um, season, of course, start, set to start on April the 7th. Uh, training camp, or spring training, I should say, will start this uh, Sunday. And so there's going to be some changes to the sport this year, Matt. I think they're going to have, you know, the uh, – Universal DH, uh, you're going to have um, players their first year in the league making more money, increased salaries there. Just a lot of things that don't have enough time in this podcast to talk about the widespread changes. But I still, though, Matt, am working on that article that I mentioned last week or that essay. And even though the lockout has uh, thankfully come to an end, I am definitely still wanting to finish that so we can maybe have a special podcast to dissect some of that. Yeah, I think you go with your essay, you know, at the end, 
you kind of tie it up with kind of where I'm going here is what is the future? Now that we've come to this lockout agreement, what is the future of baseball and how do they kind of take it in a different direction from where it started that led into this lockout? I think, Joe, as painful, as utterly painful as it is for me to say this, America is better with baseball, right? Like, I, I'm happy for baseball fans. I think I think baseball is a good sport for America. It is, quote-unquote, the American pastime. Baseball has a lot of questions to answer if it wants to keep up with the footballs, the basketballs, and quite frankly, the golfs of America. Yes, absolutely, Matt. And I also want to... Um you know, say on another positive note, just the positivity, Matt, that I've heard from you on topics that normally, you know, I feel like we don't hear that same degree or even close to that degree of, uh, you know, positivity on. I feel like that's just uh, just a surprising uh, theme here tonight, Matt. It's kind of been like a cliffhanger. It's almost like you, you've you uh, taken the audience by surprise. And at this point, I almost want to ask you to borrow like $100,000. And I feel like you might even say yes with all this positivity. So it's, it's, it's about putting out there in the world good things, Joe, right? And like at the end of the day, I think I oftentimes forget that we have listeners that value different sports and, and yada, yada, yada. And so I am happy when fans get what they want. With that said, here comes the backhanded slap. I promise you, if we could have gotten by with 80 games the baseball season as opposed to 162, it would have been just fine, okay? But last thing here, JJB says it's all about greed, and I guess that's what I want everyone to know. If I had a platform, like you're writing your essay on baseball, too, if I had a platform, what I would tell everyone about sports is it's not the sports we grew up with as kids. Like, that notion of you're a little kid and you love your passion about the sports it has clearly become about money and greed right like that you got to understand taking it full circle what Aaron Rodgers was doing this was not about his ability it was not about his talent it was not about the fans it was about him wanting to be appreciated and Green Bay showing him as much love as the other quarterbacks in the league a monetarily and this the different rights and permissions right aka greed everything in sports nowadays is about greed and what have you done for me lately and i hate it and if you look close enough you can see it in every sport right right everybody kind of like evaluates every single decision they make like you know you think about like in basketball whether to do the slam dunk competition you know like whether to do cameos like in movies, like whatever, like it's like every athlete is making sure like, you know, that they're either rewarded for something that is going to benefit them to do it. And if it doesn't benefit them, they're just not going to do it. Like there's just no doing anything for the love of the game. Exactly. Joe. And like, here's a great move. And I'll throw this out there very quickly. You know, me, um, I love the intersection of and money, the business side. Okay. Let me give you a perfect example. It's not about baseball. Unfortunately, in the news the other day, uh, Calvin Ridley got popped for betting on football, right? He bet $1,500. That's a lot to me and you, all right? But one time I did the math, because, you know, I'm a numbers guy, and it was it was about Kevin Durant. What I wanted to figure out was a car that we buy off the lot, we 
how much does that mean to Kevin Durant, right? And Kevin Durant, the money that he makes, us buying a car is the same thing as him buying a pizza, okay? So when we, or excuse me, I got that flipped around. So him buying a car is the same as us buying a pizza. We spend $20 on a pizza, he can go buy a $40,000 car, and it means the same thing to him. Okay, so where am I going with this? Calvin Ridley bets $1,500, basically nothing. He bet nothing, pocket change on football. They suspended that guy for a year, not because of how much he bet or how egregious it was. They suspended him because what he could do hurt the you know, sponsorship, its deals, and ultimately the game of football if people rigged. And what we learned from that scenario was the NFL values their money-making machine more than they value their players or, or anything else out there, fans, the whole nine yards. If Calvin Ridley would bet $10 million, I'd be like, oh my gosh, we have a problem. He bet $1,500, which is probably the equivalent of a dollar to me and you. And yet, you don't see football taking a stand on domestic violence or any of the other issues out there. Hey, Colin Kaepernick and, and Black Empowerment. But when it comes to betting on the sport that makes them money, that's where they draw the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the contradictory rhetoric I hear, you know, is you, you the NFL publicizes, you know, betting and gambling so much. Like, they have no problem getting the endorsements and everything. But, like, you know, the players can't do it. And I'm not saying the players should do it, but it's just kind of one of those things I like to call contradictory rhetoric, if you know what I mean. It is. Joe, real quick, I want you to hit JJB's uh, question. He says, fellas, is there a weaker union in pro sports than Major League Baseball? I mean, it definitely seems that way. I mean, I don't know if you would throw hockey into the conversation, but it definitely seems like uh, baseball has uh, the weakest union, especially when you compare it, you know, to the likes of the NBA and the NFL. Like, I, I would think that that's uh, that that does, does seem pretty straightforward there. So, I, I think you're right, Joe. The one I would just say do more research on for JJV because I'm not a union guy. I don't know what I'm talking about here. Go follow this Phil Mickelson story. My understanding from the little bit I read is that. PGA Golf has a crazy weak union to the point of, or they don't have a union, to the point of the golfers cannot even use their own pictures or videos of themselves because the PGA is that strong. But again, go do the research. That's what the, the whole Phil Mickelson thing that came up in the last week is about. He's fighting for a stronger union for the PGA players. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll definitely have to check that out as well. And I have not really considered previously, you know, unions as far as the sport of golf. So I'll definitely uh, do some reading and research on that. So, Matt, you know, we talked a lot about the NFL, talked about baseball. And because we sandwiched baseball in between basketball and football tonight on our topics, I thought it would be very appropriate for our Hungry Take segment for tonight's show to talk about sandwiches. And Matt, um, I know that you're just an expert when it comes to all things food, but I feel like when it comes to sandwiches, you're definitely an expert on that topic as well. And so if you were, Matt, to build your ideal dream sandwich from start to finish with bread, cheese, meat, condiments, whatever you're going to put on there, build the dream sandwich for Matt for our ColorCast listeners. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, when I saw this question, Joe, I immediately knew. I fell in love. I immediately it's a fried catfish po'boy, which is not a generally thought of, you know, sandwich, quote unquote, 
but fried catfish po'boy, you're going to have some really nice crisp lettuce, a beautiful tomato, some pickled tartar sauce on a beautiful French, uh, you know, roll or French bread. Uh, man, that is my love and life is a fresh, delicious fried catfish po'boy. Nice, nice. You can't go wrong there. Like um, I'm telling everybody, you know, that's not had catfish before. Um, like I know it, I feel like it's more um, prevalent, obviously, in the South, um, especially in, uh, in Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, you know, there's a lot of places uh, my family goes to and frequents that are like catfish restaurants where they, they pretty much specialize in catfish. And yeah, catfish po'boys are definitely uh, very delicious. For me, Matt, I feel like you know, I can be pretty versatile when it comes to my top sandwich. Um, I love to pile on the cheese. Like today I had a sandwich for lunch that included pepper jack cheese. And so that's going to be important to me. Um, ideally, I love any type of lunch meat on a sandwich. Like I love ham and um, turkey. But I do have to be careful though. I don't know if I've told you this before, but sometimes uh, the nitrite preservatives that's in um, ham and turkey and lunch meat, that will sometimes bother me, like make me sick. So I have to kind of be careful about eating too much of that. But ideally, though, I would love to have that pour on the bacon, the pepper jack cheese, maybe some spinach and tomato, some mayonnaise, like, you know, condiments galore. And, and that would probably be my uh, ideal sandwich. Okay, so I, I want to I ask some questions. I got some follow-ups here, right? Because I never actually would have thought of you as like a cold cuts kind of guy. But when we talk about like lunch meat, right, like, a sandwich lunch meat. Do you love it all? Like, you know, pepperoni, salami, bologna, uh, olive loaf, cheese loaf. Like, is it all lunch meat or is it specific to like turkey and ham? No, I really love it all. It's really just me having to make that concerted effort not to eat it because it gives me headaches with the preservative. Um, wow. And wow. so that is I never, something. I honestly never would have thought. I really wouldn't have because kind of your stance on health food generally speaking you know right right and that's another reason why just kind of how I, I try to be conscious of what i'm eating that's another reason why i don't eat it but i guess um to answer the question i'm just like as far as taste what tastes good what tastes good to me that is my number one um what i normally eat though is a lot of things like chicken salad and try to try to stay healthy that way so yeah let me plug this and i got one follow-up for you so I agree. I know me and you both love it to say chicken salad anywhere is definitely a go-to, right? I love it. It's easy on the stomach. It's delicious. I want to plug um, Honey Baked Ham because just like you can have a chicken salad sandwich, you can have a ham salad sandwich, and it is fantastic. If you haven't had ham salad from Honey Baked Ham, you need to go have it. It's delicious. Now, I used to, as a kid, I feel like live on the honey bake um, ham sandwiches. Used to love that. Um, like you said, like I said, chicken salad is definitely a go-to for me. Do you ever eat tuna, like tuna sandwiches? I, I do. It's, it's, it's hit and miss here, right? Like, I like to keep that at home. I like to make it my own. I don't eat it when I kind of go out in public. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, because that's one of those things. That's one of those things sometimes you get nervous about somebody maybe leaving something like that out too long, if that makes sense. Exactly. That and egg salad. Like, I love them both equally. I would eat them. But uh, at the same time, it's just not something I'm going to eat from someone else or, or someone preparing for me. Right. Absolutely. Now, what, what else? Were you going to say something else? So, yeah, I was going to ask you one more question. So you talk about sandwiches. Have you ever had a Reuben? And do you consider a Reuben kind of in that lunch meat 
style of sandwich? I'm sure I have. I know I've seen it on menus before. I just can't remember ordering it. But no, I would definitely say it falls into that category, in my opinion. Gotcha. Yeah, I've, I've never had a Reuben. It's really the only quote-unquote sandwich I've never had. And I always tell myself I'm going to be in a situation to get one, but I've never had one. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that uh, definitely sounds great when I see it on the menu. And so it's one of those things probably in the past kind of regret not ordering it enough. So. Well, I love it, man. Great hungry take just in general. Who would have thought there's so much conversation around probably the simplest meal you can have, which is just a sandwich. Right. It's just great to, to build that, that dream sandwich. Maybe next time we'll have to do a build your own pizza. I love it. Let's do it. All right, Matt. So lastly, um, before we end the show tonight, obviously I'd be remiss if we did not have a basketball segment. And so briefly, I wanted to give kind of um, some high-level thoughts on college basketball, just kind of an overview, and then we'll delve into a few NBA questions. Sure. Let's jump in. So, of course, you know, we're right now in the middle, in the midst of a championship week in college basketball. You've got uh, teams vying for conference uh, tournament titles and, of course, um, the automatic bid to the big dance. We will find out the brackets on Sunday. Um, the biggest thing, Matt, that kind of interests me when it comes to championship week is this notion that every now and then you may see a team steal a bid for the tournament. You know, it doesn't happen very often. Like mo mo most of the time, more times than not, the, the favored teams or one of them is going to win the conference championship. But every once in a while, like we saw last year with the Georgetown uh, coming out of nowhere, instilling a bid and making it to the big dance. Every now and then it does happen. And so I did want to ask you, Matt, if you had any opinion on like the uh, relevance of conference tournaments and whether they're actually a good thing for the sport. Oh, you know, it, it's, it's tough, Joe, right? Like I think one of the difficulties that the NCAA has is how do you have conference championships in some sports and not the other? So I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I kind of understand the direction you want to go. But what can you say to have conference championships in football, and we definitely need conference championships in baseball that lead into the regionals and super regionals, but let's not have it in, in basketball or vice versa. Actually, the argument is, do you really need college our conference championships in college football. That's really the conversation, right, uh, with, with the different powerhouses and all that good stuff. But I, I don't know, Joe. I think there is some value, and I do think there's some importance to say, you know, this is the best team in the Sun Valley Conference or the SEC Conference. But uh, I, I, I don't think it necessarily applies to the bigger picture of March Madness and, and what happens in the tournament. Mm -hmm. and, and on that point, it's something I've gone back and forth with over the years. Like I used to think, you know, if I was a team, hypothetically, I would want to win my conference tournament to kind of validate, you know, a late season push and to get momentum heading into March. But, you know, we've seen a lot of teams, Matt, make deep runs in the tournament and win national titles that fell flat in their conference tournament. Like I've seen it happen with North Carolina a couple of times. Baylor last year won the national title, I think, without winning their conference tournament. Um, and so it can definitely happen. And so I think that we have a tendency to, like, start talking about when we get close to Selection Sunday, who's going to be the number one seeds. But it doesn't really seem to matter that much who's a one, who's a two, who's a three, who's a four. Like, it seems like it's really more about the draw that you get in the tournament. 
Yeah, it, it really is, right? It, it's about how hungry is the team that you're going to play. Now, and, and I think uh, – and, and we'll say this, though. Now, here, here's the caveat. There is a few positions in the tournament that you don't necessarily want, okay? Like, I think it's the number uh, number two, number 15 seed. You yeah. You're going to play – like, that one's sometimes an upset. I think – that number seven, number eight, when those guys play each other, that's always a hard game. So there are some seedings that you don't necessarily want. I, is it five and twelve? Five and twelve is normally an upset somewhere. Yeah. There. So, and, and I think the reason why is it's kind of to your point. You have these teams that come in that may not have won their conference championship because of whatever reason, the last second shot. Okay, but they're still a heck of a basketball team. And now they've been ranked lower, kind of like, kind of like Duke. You know, I, I was not that pleased with what I was Duke, but they're on a losing streak now because they lost their last game to a clearly, clearly inferior UNC Chapel Hill. So if you stumble upon one of those teams that just happened to lose the last game of the season, maybe it's their conference championship, but they still got into the tournament, it could be upset city. No, it really could be. And it's going to be interesting to see how Duke, you know, comes back from that game. But with the 5-12 matchups, though, I've also um, always speculated that the committee is very uh, conspiratorial with selecting intentionally uh, teams to play in that 12-5 matchup that are really have a good chance, like where either one of them could win it. Where like the there's not as large of a gap, usually, in my opinion, in the 12 seed talent from a lot of the fives. Yeah, no, I, I agree got to think that some of those spots are kind of contrived, right? Like, it's, it's much of a coincidence every year for those upsets to happen. The other thing that's contrived to me, and it'd be funny, I don't keep up with college basketball as closely as you do. Uh, it'll be funny to see, but I feel like every year, regardless of what happens, Michigan State is always a five seed. I don't know why, but they always are. Yeah, and they always seem like they have a chance to make a deep run. Like last year, you know, they lost to UCLA in the play-in game. Had they gotten past them, I mean, UCLA made it to the Final Four, and so they easily could have made a deep run. We know how uh, Tom Izzo's track record has been uh, so well, so good in March over the years with the uh, the deep runs and the Final Fours and even the national championship on his resume. Yeah, yeah I mean, lastly – I always feel like, too, that the committee sets up potential matchups that are going to be intriguing later on in the tournament. Like a lot of times, like I remember back in, I'll give an example, 2015, for instance, they set it up clearly where Kansas and Wichita State could play in the second round because neither of those teams for a while wanted to schedule each other in the, or at least Kansas didn't want to schedule Wichita State in the regular season. And so the committee's like, you know, we're just going to make them play each other in the tournament. So I always feel like things like that happen as far as matchups. Sure. I mean, it has to, right? Like, it's, it's just part of being human. At the end of the day, uh, humans form those committees very much like the college football committee, right? Um, I mean, and, and humans have tendencies. I mean, look look at this year, okay? You had four good football teams, and somehow Alabama and Georgia played the two weakest teams in the semifinals to end up with an Alabama versus Georgia uh, final. I mean, is that a coincidence? No. I mean, their records get out, of course, but you've got to think that human error does that, or human bias, I should say. So, Joe, here's the question. Do you see any teams? Are there any particular teams that you're looking at 
that could have a deep run, if not win, March Madness? So I think there's a handful of teams that I think have a chance to win the whole thing this year. Like, I don't think there's just that clear-cut one or two best teams in the country. I think it's fairly wide open with the field. If I were to give you, like, a list, I would say that I still think Duke has a great chance to win the whole thing. I think they're going to be motivated with Coach K, and they've got talent with Benchero and Griffin. Um, I think that you have to look at um, Gonzaga is having a good chance, although I don't think they have enough depth as they've had in years past. That's a little bit of a question for me, depth, and their their guard play to me is also not as good as it's been. Um, I put Purdue in that conversation. Um, I would put Auburn in the conversation. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody else's. Oh, Arizona has a great chance. I mean, those are just some teams right off the top of my head that I feel like could easily win the whole thing. Yeah, the, the only one I'm really going to point at is, is Duke, and it's not. I'm not trying to be reactionary to what we saw. Like, I don't care that it was Coach K's last game they lost. What I'll tell you is, I did not see a whole lot of offensive production. And after that game, Coach K came out and said, "Hey, this is just our regular season. There's much more to come. I'm sorry we lost tonight." And my question for him is, I get it. You're, you're going to coach these guys up, but where exactly in that display that happened tonight, where exactly are you going to generate offense? And, and he also had a defensive problem, but my major question was, who on your team in front of us is going to be the offensive spark? Because I did not see it when they played uh, UNC Chapel Hill. It's definitely a concern. I mean, it would, if you told me that they lost in the second round of the tournament or the Sweet 16, I wouldn't be that shocked based on what I saw. But I also wouldn't be shocked either, you know, if you told me, told me they made it to the Final Four just, you know, wanting to finish off and ride him off into the sunset, you know, on a good note. And so it's kind of hard to pick them. They're kind of a seesaw team to some extent. One other team I would uh, throw into that category, Kentucky, I think also has – a decent chance to make a deep run as well with uh, with Coach Cal. I agree. I think Kentucky's a little bit better than people think they are. Uh, but, you know, some of these teams, Joe, just their, their quote-unquote nest, their energy is going to get them to a Sweet 16. Like, all Duke needs to be is Duke, and they're going to get to a Sweet 16. All Michigan State needs to be is Michigan State, and they'll get to a Sweet 16, maybe an Elite Eight. Same with Kentucky. The same with uh, Arizona for the most part. And some of these guys, it's just what they do. Like, Duke gets to Sweet 16s. Now, where do they get from there? I'm not really sure. And depending on how good the team is, that's what we'll find out. But some of these teams, par for the course, is that Sweet 16 Elite, uh, elite 8 level. Interestingly, Matt, it just hit me that the um – Every 10 years, um, years that end in the, uh, the number two have been very good for uh, John Calipari in his coaching uh, experience. Uh, 10 years ago in 2012, he won his national championship at Kentucky. And then 10 years before that, in 2002, he won the NIT championship at Memphis. And so who knows? I mean, that could be an omen for uh, Kentucky. I think so, Joe. I really do. I think Kentucky's actually a dark horse kind of going in. Honestly, I do. Um, last thing I'll say, and we can move on. It's just more of an aside, really. Year after year, I've always taken back how we it's this big pomp and circumstance to get to the Sweet 16. We blaze through the Elite Eight like it doesn't even happen, and then we get to the Final Four. 
I wish we would celebrate the elite age just a little bit. Take take a little bit more of a pause. You know, celebrate the elite eight and then keep it going. But every year, I feel like we go Sweet Sixteen. Everybody's super thrilled to be in it. We take a pause and talk about the teams. We blaze through the elite eight, and now we're at the final four. Right, right. Like you, and I think that the reason it happens is it's such a short turnaround in between the Sweet Sixteen and the elite eight. Like it's a less than forty-eight hour window or turnaround normally. Whereas if you make it to the second weekend, Sweet Sixteen, usually 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 got like four or five days off, and if you make it to the Final Four, you've got a whole week off, basically. And so I think it's just that that time between games that allows it to kind of build almost like, you know, the time between like a Super Bowl or a football game of, of a high magnitude. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So definitely a good point there. Matt, um, finally, though, I did want to get your thoughts on some NBA conversation and headlines um, before we close out tonight's cast. And I want to start out, Matt, by talking about kind of this new budding rivalry going on now between the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you had a prediction maybe for tonight's game, or what is your take on kind of that budding rivalry? I I don't see it. I'm being honest. I I don't see it, right? It intrigues me. I'm going to watch the game tonight, okay? I'm going to be completely forthwith with all of our listeners. First time I've watched an NBA game in, in a little bit, okay? Uh, but I'm going to watch tonight, all right? But I just don't see the rivalry. What is the rivalry? You shipped a Ben Simmons who wasn't even playing basketball. You want to play for you over to the Nets. You shipped the James Harden from the Nets to Philadelphia. He'd only been with the Nets for a year, and then he didn't want to be there anymore. Like, what is this rivalry? I, I just... I'm not buying into it. Like, a rivalry is the Celtics versus the Lakers, you know? Like, that's a rivalry. Not not some truncated, oh, we had Ben Simmons who had never mounted anything. Oh, we had James Harden for a year, and now they're disgruntled employees. Like, that's not a rivalry. Well, yeah, it bothers me the lack of history, you know, with Harden only being with the Nets for, like, a year and only getting there, you know, last year for, like, half the season. It's not like, you know, he had this long tenure with the team and then Ben Simmons is not even playing tonight. And so I think that takes away a lot of the hype, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, kind of like exactly what you just said, not only is it not a true rivalry, quote-unquote, uh, Ben Simmons is not even playing. So if you want to argue that it was a rivalry, 50% of the rivalry is not even playing. What it goes to show, Joe, is that there is – no true rivalry in NBA sports anymore because something me and you talked about, this model that in, uh, that LeBron James created where we jump around teams and if we're a superstar, we, we, we basically protest until we get out of that team, right? And, and so I think this highlights that if we have to celebrate something so tenuous as this, then there really are no true rivalries left in NBA Right, right. Like, it's at this point, like, I celebrate it when I see guys like a Steph Curry, you know, and a Giannis that are with the team, you know, that drafted them. I love that because it's an anomaly. And when you see players just moving from team to team, chasing those championships, like the championships, there's just nothing novel about it at that point. And it's just hard, Matt, to piece together, like, any um, tradition for a lot of these players. Like, it's hard to associate them with a franchise at the point that they've played for three or four or five teams. Yeah, let, let me ask you this question. Seriously. Uh, who who does James Harden go down playing for? Who does Kevin Durant go down in the books playing for? Who does Kyrie Irving go down in the books? If you had to say 
hey, we're going to induct him to the Hall of Fame, and this is the team that we're going to attribute to his name. Who are those teams, Jeff? Well, to me, it'd be the hardest with Kevin Durant because, you know, even though he didn't win a championship with OKC, he won, you know, an MVP there and had a great, you know, stellar tenure to kind of jumpstart his career. But then he has the two championships in Golden State, and then, the, you know, the jury's still out in Brooklyn. So that's really hard to pick him. Harden, you know, I would probably – I would I would pick Houston, but, you know, now at this point he's playing, you know, what he's played now for, what, five teams at this point? Right, exactly, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just – it's tough. It becomes a slippery slope. And, you know, uh, I was reminded the other day about how many teams that Shaquille O'Neal played on. But at the same time, you know, at that point it was still more of an anomaly for a superstar to – go to that many teams, but now it's just, you know, completely commonplace. Yeah, I mean, I think a great example, and I, and I know the answer here, right, but a great example is Russell Westbrook, right? If you say he will eventually go in the Hall of Fame, he's got all these triple doubles, right? He's the triple-double key. He was an MVP player. He's going to go into the record books as an Oklahoma City Thunder. But you're talking about one of the still the premier players in the NBA – and he's been traded how many times? Like five? I mean, it's as bad as Rajon Rondo. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, back in the day, could you ever imagine you know, so many players playing for both the Lakers and Celtics? Like, to me, that is something that's become so common but was just unthinkable probably, you know, a couple of decades ago. No, I, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I couldn't wrap my mind around Scottie Pippen leaving the Chicago Bulls. Like, Wait, Scotty Pippen plays where? For who? He's a bull. He's not a trailblazer. He's not a Houston Rocket. Like, that stuff was earth-shattering. And now uh, you're talking about LeBron James will probably be playing for his fourth or so team, right? I mean, he's not staying in L.A. If you think he's staying in L.A., it, I mean, until he retires, you're crazy. And, and like, it just blows my mind how much these players move around nowadays. Right, right. And just kind of to, to um, circle back here, I want to make sure that I identify and clarify one point. You know, maybe somebody's listening out there and they're like, well, you know, you see players in the NFL or the MLB that are role players that move, you know, from team to team. But here's the distinction for me, Matt. It's at the point that you see the superstars doing it. You know, the superstar quarterbacks, you don't see them moving too much. You know, we talked about um, Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. I, I know that Tom Brady played in Tampa, but, you know, remember, he played the majority of his career in New England. And so I think it's at the point that you see the superstars in basketball and not even just playing for multiple teams, playing for three, four, five teams. That's where it gets out of hand. Yeah, I mean, I think another way to put it, Joe, is look at the top jersey sales because every sport they have jersey sales right take the top 10 nfl jersey sales and outside of every once in a while someone like a russell wilson coming on the free agent market will they move around take the top 10 jersey sales in the nba and i bet eight out of the 10 are wearing a different jersey next year like that's how bad yeah without a doubt Without a doubt. So just a great conversation there, Matt. Um, I also, though, did want to ask you about um, a team that maybe, you know, isn't getting as much hype this year as they probably should just because, you know, they lost the finals last year the way they did to the Bucks. But, you know, you look at the Suns this season, I think 53-13 and 13, heading into play tonight. Uh, yesterday, I think they became the first team 
to clinch a postseason berth. Obviously, they're doing it at this point without Chris Paul, who's still sidelined uh, due to injury. Still have, of course, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And so my question for you, Matt, is do you buy into Phoenix having a chance this year to really finish it off and win the whole thing? I do. Uh, in fact, I'll go as far as if Phoenix wins the championship. The, the question there is, can DeAndre Ayton really step up against Giannis? Like, it's time for him to come out at, at number one pick. And, and yes, I get it. Giannis is the big, bad bully that's huge and super athletic. Well, so is DeAndre Ayton, and now he's got to impose his will. But I think Phoenix is fantastic. I think when you should worry about teams is when they're quiet. And Phoenix is sitting there just living life, winning. They're staying quiet. None of their superstars are in the media. And when you're able to do that as a team, you can really hone in on what you're good at. You can focus, and then you can make a championship run. You saw that with Milwaukee. I think this is year you see it with Phoenix. Yeah, I really think they have a good chance. Like, I would like them against any team in the Eastern Conference. I know they beat the Heat, I think, recently. Um, I really think that the toughest test for them will be getting out of the West this year because you have Golden State who's still there. And I know that Golden State, you know, has hit some uh, bumpy roads lately and they've lost some games. They don't look as good as they did earlier in the season. Curry doesn't look quite as prolific. But I still think that Golden State – um, you know, if they can get everybody ready to go for the playoffs, uh, Iguodala, especially defensively, I think they would be a tough out for Phoenix. But I really think Phoenix, um, to your point, has a great chance because I like the fact that Chris Paul, for once in his career, we've seen it the last two years, he's not a guy as the point guard who's counted on to make the big jump shot at the end of the game. You know, when he was with the Clippers – um, he didn't have, you know, a two guard who was formidable alongside him. And he has that in Devin Booker. He has a closer. And I know that you could say he had James Harden in Houston, but I feel like Booker is more of a clutch player as far as I trust him more than Harden, actually, in big moments in a final series to be able to make the big shot. Oh, yeah. So there's no doubt about it. Um, Devin Booker is a closer. Devin Booker has absolutely got that championship DNA gene, right? Like, I don't know when he'll be a championship. I think it's this year. But mark my words, Devin Booker will be a champion, and he will take the final shot. He's cut from that fabric. He doesn't shy away from it. So I think this is the year. But if it's not this year, Devin Booker will win a championship eventually. Yes, yes. And I think a closer is just so key. Like every team that wins a championship, to some degree, Matt, they always have that closer, that go-to player who they can count on to make that last shot. And Booker is definitely the man in Phoenix. But I brought up, Matt, Chris Paul's former team, the Clippers. And the last topic I'll have for tonight, Matt, with the rim of the NBA before we close the show, is I, I thought of something today when we were uh, talking about ideas for tonight's show. Speaking of the Clippers. You know, I was watching the highlights from last night's game for the Lakers uh, losing uh, to the Rockets and how they're kind of continuing, you know, their disappointing dismal season by their standards. And the question, Matt, that keeps going back to me the last 24 hours is you look at all the hype that the Lakers and Clippers had coming into the last couple of seasons. You know, this year you saw the, the Clippers um, coming off a Western Conference championship appearance. You saw the Lakers coming in, you know, with uh, – a retooled roster with Westbrook. And so a lot of hype for both teams, clearly championship expectations for both teams. 
And so my question for you, Matt, is who is the most disappointing out of the two L.A. teams, the Lakers or the Clippers? Yeah, th- this one's tough, and, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it, Joe. And Yeah, I'll, I'll be as brief as I can here. To me, the, the Clippers are they are. They have a hurt PG. They have uh, a Kawhi Leonard who I, I don't know anymore. He's hurt or he doesn't play or I, I don't know. But you take away those two superstars, and then you're left with some role players. And I would argue that the Clippers have done a really good job as a team of role players, right? They're at least fairly relevant. And if you play them on a nightly basis, you can get beat. To me, the disappointment. So what I'm saying, I'm not disappointed in the Clippers because it's just as you would think it is. If you have two hurt superstars, this is what you're left with in current state of the NBA. To me, the disappointment is the Lakers, and this is not a this is not Matt beating on LeBron James. That's not it. The reason the Lakers are such a disappointment, Joe, is that their franchise is in utter disrepair. In order to get Anthony Davis, they had to give up everybody, right? The same with LeBron James. They made all these different moves that he wanted to make. They gave up draft pick after draft pick. They let go superstars, up to come superstars like Caruso, so they're no longer there. They brought in aging superstars that just don't have the legs to get it done. Like, I watched Carmelo Anthony last night overtime. He couldn't even close out. And it's not, I'm not bashing Carmelo. He's at that age where I just can't get there quick enough. I, my brain is there. I'm guarding you. But my body just doesn't let me get there because I'm just not quick enough. And then to tie it all together, okay, it's really two thoughts here. To tie it all together, you have to move Russell Westbrook, and it does not matter what you get. As long as it is two or three warm bodies, they don't even have to have the ability to score one point in a game. As long as you get two or three warm bodies, and get Russell Westbrook's contract off your books, that is good enough. That's how bad of shape L.A. is in. So let me give you this one last thing, and I'll show you why L.A. is such a disappointment. If the Lakers find a way to make it into the playoffs, they could arguably face the Pelicans in the the, uh, the play-in series. Okay, They would probably play the Pelicans in New Orleans. And that same outcast team, if you remember, LeBron got the Lakers to trade everybody to the Pelicans for Anthony Davis, okay? That same outcast team would more than likely knock the Lakers out of the playoffs, and their reward is they have a top 10 draft-protected pick for Anthony Davis. So not only would Los Angeles get knocked out by the team they defeated, the Pelicans, okay, but in that trade, the Lakers had to give up a top 10 protected pick and the Pelicans are going to get to deliver on that. Nope. That's a compelling point there, Matt. Um, I think that would definitely be just a full circle embarrassment and a letdown for the Lakers. If their playoff exit was at the hands of the Pelicans for all the reasons that you stated, how ironic would that be? ESPN though would love it, I guess, to some extent getting that LeBron Zion matchup because those are the two players they love to talk about really as much as just about anybody in the NBA. But I think, Matt, you bring some great points, um, some very well-articulated points about the Lakers. And I think that you're right that the state of their organization really is in shambles. And with the Clippers, you definitely 
you know, blame the injuries as much as anything. But I will make this case for the Clippers. And here, here's the argument, I think, for the Clippers being more disappointing. It's at the point that the Clippers did not even win a championship with this core. You know, they went all in um, with uh, signing uh, Kawhi um, three years ago. We know what happened with the bubble. They just weren't the same team um, down there in Orlando. So I think that the case for the, for the Lakers in their defense is – as bad as it's been the last four years, as far as not as being consistent and being you know, really bad this year, at least you do have a championship to show for it on that resume with LeBron James and Anthony Davis in their tenure in, in L.A. If you're the Clippers, you don't even have that. And so that, that, that to me, that would be the hollow feeling, not having a championship from the Clippers. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. Like, I think you nailed that. I think the story of the Clippers – is a lot more disappointing because you auctioned off it, and you've spoken about this before. The Clippers gave away a ton of young, talented players and draft picks to get PG and Kawhi Leonard, and they had a thing, like not even players in jerseys, literally, to show for it. At least the Lakers do have a championship, and you could argue that bringing LeBron to L.A., worked out. I mean, it got you back to that championship level. Right. You weren't going to do it without him. Like, we weren't going to get anywhere close to doing it. You know, they had seasons where they missed the playoffs before he got there. And so it made him more relevant, got him the championship. And the Clippers, you know, the, the sad part about the story, Matt, you know, is it doesn't even start there. You know, we know about the um, lack of success and failure with their franchise for years where they've been basically a laughing stock. But it also goes deeper, Matt, to the extent that they were supposed to be that new dynasty in the NBA in the 2010s. You know, when LeBron left um, Miami and went back to Cleveland, I think everybody assumed that the Clippers were going to make a run at the 2015 NBA championship with uh, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and company. And instead, you saw their rivals, the Warriors, take that role and start their own dynasty. And so the Clippers are just that team that just never was. Yeah, and, and not only that, but they fell hard, and they fell hard fast, right? It went from the Clippers are that number one, number two seed in the West for a few years, right? I mean, that was they're, – they're, they're coming, right? Like Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, these guys are coming. And then in a blink of an eye, it just disappeared on them. Right, and they, and they were so much fun to watch, but they just couldn't get out of the second round of the playoffs to save their lives. You know, they had just two gut-wrenching losses in back-to-back -back years – in the uh, Western Conference semifinals and then, you know, just never were the same team after they lost to Houston, I think, back in uh, 2015, blowing that 3-1 series lead. But, Matt, on a happy note, though, I talked about the positivity I've heard from you in this episode earlier. I mean, this has been a fun show. This may be a record, Matt, for our longest recorded podcast. It's just been completely action-packed. Yeah, you know, I, I'm to blame for that. I get a little long-winded at times, but I love it, Joe. I love talking about sports. You know that. Yeah, and we had just such, you know, um, a versatile uh, allotment of sports debates tonight from the NFL, the MLB, to uh, the NBA, college basketball, and also in between, we built a sandwich in the middle. So enjoyed it so much, Matt. Um, can't wait to do it again. Yeah, Joe, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Really appreciate the support as always. You can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes. Hope everybody has a great night and we will talk to you later.